as you find your seats. My beloved Orangewood, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter, in the back of your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 2. If you don't have your Bible, you'll also may want to pull out your bulletin. The scripture will be there for you as well. The land of the free and the home of the brave. This weekend, we remember, we celebrate the sacrifice of those who were brave uh, to make for us or to keep for us the land of the free. And again, the greatest thing we could do, the freedom that is ours, the greatest way we can celebrate, it's not going to be a parade somewhere. It's not going to be something else. It's going to be worship. I mean, how we can celebrate what has been won for us, the victory that is ours, is by gathering and celebrating our great God. Well, this Memorial Day, we do honor those who have made that ultimate sacrifice so that we truly can be the land of the free and the home of the brave. Let me ask you a question as we begin. What does freedom mean for most Americans? What does freedom really mean? And what does it mean to be brave? What does bravery look like in our country, in our culture today? For Christians, it's not just this Sunday and not just this day or this weekend. It's every day that we can celebrate freedom and bravery. It's through the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus, the truly and the only innocent one, the sacrifice for us, the one who would become our sins, the one who would die our death, the one who would conquer death for us so that we truly can be free. I mean, really free, free from the penalty of sin, free from the power of sin. But he also died and was resurrected so we could live and so we can be brave. What does that look like? What does it look like in the kingdom of God for us to have freedom? What does a freedom look like for a Christian? And how does this gospel of Jesus Christ empower us to truly be brave? You see, we live in a time where, where in America, uh, in our culture oftentimes, it says we are now free to, to discover who we are. Uh, we are now free to do whatever we want. We are now free to, to determine why we exist. You see, God has come and, and he has given us good news that there's a kingdom of God, a kingdom of heaven that, that tells us that, that freedom isn't determined by us, it's determined by God. And he, he gives us something so much greater to live for than, than just our lives. That he's called us to himself and, and he set us free as we are tethered to him. You see, in the kingdom of God, who we are is most important. In our society, it's often what's most important is what you do. And oftentimes, think about this. Oftentimes, where we live now, who you are is determined by what you do. When you meet somebody for the first time, you often ask, hey, what do you do? What do you ask them what do you do for? Well, it's probably determined who they are. You see, in the kingdom, who we are is most important. And whose we are. Not only who, but whose we are. And when we discover in God's word who or whose we are, it will tell us what we are to do. It will tell us even why we are to do what we do. So this morning as we, we gather and we celebrate freedom, as we celebrate life, I'm going to look to God's word and, and not unpack for you what it means to be free and what it means to be brave in American culture, but what God's word calls us, what freedom means to God's people, 
not just Americans, but all of God's people and what it means to live bravely for him. So let's turn to the back of our Bibles uh, to 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, and we will look at verses 9 through 12. Uh, let me tell you that, that these words, according to God's words, that, that they are God-breathed. His, his very being is in these words. And it's true of all of his words, whether Moses wrote them or Paul wrote them, or as we see here, Peter. And so th- these words are living, and these words are for you, no, no matter who you are. And no matter what got you here, this is not a story to entertain you. These are God's words to, to actually dissect you to intersect your life and to bring you into a relationship with him. So let's give it the reverence it is due as as God's word to us. And let's be mindful that this is for you and this is for me. And as you hear these words, I want you to hear the description that God uses. I want you to be a little amazed because I think it's incredible the way God describes his children. Is this you? Do you have a relationship with him by his grace through faith? If so, listen to how God describes you. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That's the who. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's our what? Once you were not a people, but now you have, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, what a great word. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles or among the unbelievers honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, They may see your good deeds and glorify God, the why, on the day of visitation. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, it is most critical and urgent that you would come and that you would speak through a broken sinner like me to your people so that we could truly understand who we are. And God, as we, we, we understand who we are, we will see what we are called to do and why we are called to do it. And Father, I, I don't have words to describe that, but your word does and your spirit does. And so that we ask, God, that you do that, which only you could do, that you would give us actual ears to hear Jesus's voice and, and, and minds to understand how you view us and and hearts to embrace who we are and whose we are in your sight. And that, Father, that you would graciously be with the church this morning, that we can walk out of here in a manner worthy of your name to do that which you've created us to do and for your glory. And Father, the things that I say this morning that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true, that contain the good news of the gospel, that reveal who we are and what we are to do and why we are to do it, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior? And it's in his holy name we pray. Amen. 
You'll find in your bulletin an outline if you want to follow along with my sermon. I, I want to start off with a little uh, uh, disclaimer, I guess you would call it. I'm going to use a couple of words that I'm making up, okay? It may sound like words that came from Dr. Seuss. Uh, they didn't. But we're going to talk about our whoness, and we're going to talk about our whatness, and we're going to talk about our whyness, our who, what, and why. Uh, as I wrestled through this outline with my staff, I thought, do we make up words for this? I got a good friend who uses these words a lot. I'm thinking, hopefully this will be a tool for you to remember uh, a little bit more clearly who you are, what God has called you to do, and why he has. And the first thing is this, our kingdom whoness, who we are in God's eyes, who we are in the kingdom of God. You see, we do live in a culture that will try to define us of who we are by what we do. But that's not true for God's family. In God's family, we are not defined first and foremost by what we do. We are defined by a God who loves. We are defined by a God who rescued. We are defined from the inside out of who we are. And what I love about this passage, when, when Peter is writing this, he uses these big phrases. You are, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. And you're thinking, whoa, those are some wonderful christian or wonderful big words. Where did he get them from? Let me tell you, he got them from God's word. If we look back, if we look back all the way to Exodus chapter 19, as God had taken his people out of the slavery of Egypt and he was leading them to the promised land. Now watch this, this is very important. In Exodus 20, he's about to give them the Ten Commandments and what they are to do. But before he tells them what they are to do, he wants to tell them who they are. Because who they are is going to be more important and what they do is going to flow out of who they are. And so what he says to them is this, you are a holy, a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. Here's the point. God has always seen his family this way. And God has always looked at his children by grace and accomplished through faith, whether that's uh, the people of Israel who believed in the, in the promises or for us who know that the promises are fulfilled in Christ Jesus. So how does Paul or Peter use this language? He uses God's language. That's how he describes us. But you know, as we look closely at this passage, it's an amazing passage. It tells us both who we are and whose we are. And it's very important for us to get both of that. Let's look again at this. It says, a chosen race. It basically is saying that you are uniquely loved in all of God's creation. God created everything. And God created everything out of nothing. There's nothing that exists that God can't point to and say, mine. But for some reason, and for some mystery, before time began, God decided to, to put a unique love on his own people. He calls them his chosen one, his elect, his church. And I love what he says to us. I love what God's word says. He says, I don't love you because you're the biggest. I don't love you because you're the best. I don't love you because you're good. I don't love you because you're lovable. I love you. Ready for this? God says, I love you because I love you. I mean, it's so unconditional. I mean, it's absolutely all about God, nothing about us. It's just the fact that God has, for a reason that pleases God alone, chosen us, his people, to be a chosen race. And it brings him great delight to do so. So remember, he owns it all. But when he looks at creation and he sees it all, 
he sees us and he rejoices. He says, I love you. You're mine. You're chosen. He says this, a royal priesthood. How many of y'all this morning feel royal? <laughs> I imagine some of you are like me, feeling I don't feel at all like royalty. I mean, life is heavy and life's a burden. Am I really a part of the royal family? You, it says this, royal priesthood. How do we have royalty in us? Only through, by God's grace, our association with Jesus. I mean, Jesus is the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's God's only begotten, unique son. In him, we have been brought into the family. In him, we have been made, what the scriptures will say, joint heirs with Christ. In him, we're part of the royal family. So we are royal, but it says more than that. It says we are a royal priesthood. A priest is someone who represents God to the people and the people to God. Oftentimes, when we think of a priest, you think of a pastor. Uh, you think of a preacher. You think of somebody who's paid or set aside to, uh, to do special church work. But this isn't what this passage is saying. He's saying this about you, if you're a believer in Christ. He says, you are royalty. And you are, ha- you are a priesthood. That you are to represent me to this world. You're to represent the people uh, to me. And you are to represent me to the people. Pray for them. Intercede for them. Live among them. All of us, this is who you are, chosen. This is who you are, royal. This is who you are, priesthood. But he goes on to say even more, you're a holy nation. And what he means by this is saying that holy is is not only without sin, but it's set apart. That God sets us apart for a reason. Now I want you to see this because if God didn't set us apart, we could have no impact on the earth. Doesn't it make sense? The only way we can have an impact for his glory on the earth is to be set apart, is to be holy, and a holy nation. Now, it doesn't mean that America is a holy nation. It means that God's people are the holy nation from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. But it says even more. It says we are a people of God's own possession. Again, he owns it all. But he's put a special stamp on us. Let me tell you about that literary giant of a story, Toy Story. If you know the movie Toy Story, it's a phenomenal story. A story of Buzz Lightyear and Woody, uh, who happened to live in a a wonderful domain of Andy's bedroom. uh, And in Andy's bedroom, it's a great place to be. But Buzz shows up in Andy's bedroom, and he thinks he's literally Buzz Lightyear, that he has a life, a freedom, a responsibility outside of Andy. And, and, and Woody's saying, you don't get it, man. I mean, really, our identity is found in Andy. I mean, our identity is found in the one who loves us and the one who's identified us. And it comes to an important part of the movie, which, is there an important part of Toy Story? Of course there is. <laughs> Where he looks at his foot and he sees the name engraven of Andy upon him. And he knows he belongs. And he knows he's cared for. And he knows he's loved. You see, when God says, you and I are a people of his own possession, he's saying, God has carved his name upon us. We reflect who he is. When when he sees us, he he sees his glory in himself. I mean, he's done more than just carve his name upon us. He shed the blood of his son to forgive us. He robes us in his righteousness. And so we're all his by creation, but we're doubly his by recreation. For those of us whom God has loved enough to send his son to come and rescue, we are his treasured possession. 
And of all eternity, he looks at us and he smiles. And oh, how he loves us. We have his name. We belong to him. You see, here's, here's the amazing thing about God's freedom. God's freedom is this. It's not that we're untethered from God. Freedom doesn't come because we are, we're free to live for ourselves. Freedom comes because we are tethered to God, because we are connected to Jesus. Freedom comes through faith in Christ Jesus, that he is our identity. He is our life. He is our joy. He has been our sacrifice. We live because he lives. And being tethered to him, we're free. And being untethered from him, we're lost. We're God's possession. You see, we find our identity and we find our worth in our whoseness, our whoness, or our whoseness in the kingdom of God. Who we are in His sight, that gives us our worth and our identity. You know, it's been interesting updating our, my passports to get ready for sabbatical coming up in a few weeks. And as we got the passports, looking through the front few pages and seeing the beautiful pictures that are there that really portray America. It's interesting how our country will want to show the world this is who we are and this is what we believe. And even on that very front page, it says that we are the land of the free and the home of the brave right there. But you know what's really interesting when you get your passport? It comes with other stuff. It comes with warnings. It comes with a warning saying, by the way, taking this into a certain country and showing that you are American has risk. You want to make sure that you're going to travel into safe places because sometimes just because you're an American, there's going to be a response to you. And people might even hate you just because you live here in the land of the free and the home of the brave. But you see, being a Christian isn't celebrated in all places either. Do you know that those who call in the name of Christ, are, are their life is threatened in parts of the world, even now. But see, there, there's, there's, there's a flip side to our whoness. There's a whoness that celebrates, and we've looked at that, a celebrating of it, who we are. Man, we're, we're chosen, we're royal, I mean, we're holy, we belong to him. But there's a flip side to our whoness that we can't miss. It also says this, we are sojourners. And sojourner means resident foreigners or, or aliens. We are like one who live in a place that's not our home. It's basically saying this isn't it for us. We're to live our lives out of who we are as sojourners. We are to live as exiles, residing temporary here. Basically, the word means this, not establishing permanent residence until the new heavens and the new earth come, until Jesus is with us. That's the flip side. But both of those things, both of who we are on both Calling us to himself and reminding us of what we're not in the world determines our whatness. So our kingdom whoness determines our kingdom whatness. And let me read that for you. That you and I may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who and whose we are in Christ determines what we do. It's not the flip. That's how it is in society. What are we to do? Every single one of us, no matter what God has for you and your vocation, no matter if you're a student, you're a mom, wherever you are in life, if you're a child of the king, this is your whatness to proclaim, to speak out, to report out in both word and in deed, the excellencies of Jesus, the one who would become flesh and live among us, Emmanuel, the one who would become our sin, the one who's the lover of our souls, the one who lives for, to intercede for us. We have the, pro, the privilege of proclaiming his excellencies, the one who is broken so that we could be healed, 
It's by his grace that he's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light to, to establish our who-ness. What I love about God's word is this. God's people throughout all of history have always had the same job. If you're a child of the king, if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of, of Jesus, your job is the same as it's always been in the Bible. It's never, ever, ever changed. Our whatness has never changed. And what is it from the very beginning? I'm going to give you three things. Bring light into the darkness. Bring light into darkness. Bring order into the chaos. And bring beauty into the void. I got to confess something. I love those phrases. I use those things all the time. People say, Jeff, what, what's, what's, what's orange would like? I said, well, we're gospel soaked and kingdom focused. And they say, huh? I said, what are we to do? We're to bring light into darkness. We're to bring order into the, uh, to the chaos. We're bringing beauty into the void. And they say, huh? So let me unpack that a little bit for you. What does it mean to bring light into darkness? This is what God has called you to do. Because he called you out of, his, out of darkness into his marvelous light to be the light of the world. It might look like this. Communicating with someone who's struggling with their identity. They're all around you. They're all over the place. And it might even be you. Someone who's trying to find their identity in what they do. And what they do isn't going very well. And what they do is changing. And because it's changing, they're on a slippery slope. And they don't know who they are. And bringing light into the darkness there is to come alongside them and remind them, it's, listen, your worth isn't wrapped up in what you do. Your worth wraps up in who you are. Do you not know of all the things God has created? He made you special. He's never duplicated you. You reflect who he is. Who you are is so much more worth than what you do. And as a child of the king, God has shed his son's blood for you. That's bringing light into the darkness. Someone who's wrestling with their identity. And trying to live on what they do instead of who they are. Maybe bringing light in the darkness is just even something as simple as driving someone to a doctor's appointment. Especially if it's a chemo or radiation appointment in the darkness of that saying, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to remind you that we have a God. His name's Emmanuel, God with us. I'm going to remind you that God will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm going to remind you that, that in Christ Jesus we have a life that will never be touched by cancer. That's bringing light in the darkness. Or maybe it's bringing order into the chaos. Is anybody having a hard time raising children in this crazy culture of ours? Does your life look a little chaotic when you try to uh, live your life and raise children and all the things that the world has to offer? I want you to know I've given up on being balanced. I think being balanced life, living a balanced life is a lie. Are you trying to live a balanced life? Is anyone here balanced? Will you please stand up so we can knock you over and bring you reality? <laughs> Forget Trying to be balanced, it's ridiculous. You'll never do it. There's too many things to do in life. You'll never be balanced. I think I'm trying to make that point. Here's you gotta live your life with kingdom priorities. You gotta live your life with priorities. And what does God say our priorities should be? Right for this? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. The number one thing because of who we are and whose we are is to be God's glory, to seek first the kingdom of God. It's the first thing we're supposed to seek. Do you know it's the first thing we're to pray for? When he taught his disciples to pray, how did he teach them to pray? Pray thy kingdom come. Pray thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He talks about the kingdom of God. He says it's so important, it's so great that you should be willing to sell everything you have to make sure you have the kingdom of God because it's a pearl of great price. You see, when you bring order into the chaos of someone's life, it's to remind them of their priorities. It's to say, do you know that 
that club, volleyball, and soccer shouldn't rule your life? Do you, do you know that your priorities shouldn't be SATs? And do you know that it's, it's not as important that they find a good job as they know they're loved in the name of Jesus? I mean, bringing order into the chaos of someone's life is sitting with them in the midst of their crazy kid's schedule, if you have them, and say, let me tell you what's ultimately important. His name is Jesus. And let me tell you that resting in him is a beautiful thing, and the world will try to tell you you're never enough. See, that's bringing order in the chaos. That's bringing the kingdom of God there. See, when, when God says, seek First, the kingdom. What he's saying is there's values of the kingdom of God that we need to live and cherish and we need to bring into this dark world. We cannot succumb to this world's values. We can't drink the Kool-Aid of the world. We have the joy of bringing the kingdom values into this world. Bringing beauty into the void. What does that look like? Maybe it's you being a mentor to someone who's lost a parent. Maybe it's just stepping into the pain of someone else's loss and offering love. Just bringing beauty into the void. You see, I told you that our hunas has two sides. That you are a chosen royal uh, priesthood and, and all those great things. But you're also sojourners and exiles. And if we stress the hunas, now this is very important. Stick with me here. It's going to get a little wordy, but I don't want to lose you. If we stress the who-ness of who we are on both sides of the coin, too much on one side, we lose our whatness. Okay, I'll try to say it again a little bit clearer. God has told us some really wonderful things about being holy and chosen. He's also told us that we're sojourners and exiles. If we stress one of them at the expense of the other, we're not going to do what God's called us to do. You see, saturation or isolation will kill our, our whatness. Saturation into the world or isolation from the world, will kill our whatness. When we forget that we're sojourners and exiles, we become just like the world. And we become just like the world. If we drink the Kool-Aid and we have their values and we try to live their life and keep up with their pace, if we forget that we are here for the glory of God, if we forget that we are sojourners and exiles, if we forget we're not supposed to get our identity from the world, our security from the world, if we forget that our whatness will never define our who-ness, if we forget that and we become just like the world, we have lost the ability to impact it. We have lost the ability to do what God has called us to do as a royal priesthood. Or on the flip side, if we inwardly focus on our who-ness and we isolate ourselves from the world, we say, oh, look at us. Oh, we're chosen. Isn't that great? And we're royal. Isn't that fantastic? And we're holy. Isn't that great? Let's, let's be afraid of that world out there. They're nasty. They're rotten. They could, they could mess things up. If we become insular and isolated, we no longer are the salt of the earth. We no longer are the light of the world. We no longer have anybody proclaim his excellencies too because no one's listening. You see, we got to hold and balance this who we are. Who we are is both chosen and royal and holy, and who we are is sojourners and exiles. Let me ask you this question, Orangewood. Which one do you think we have a propensity to be? Do you think that we lean more toward being saturated by the world? Do you think we lean more to being isolated by the world? Now, most of you, I would say, lean like me, saturated. I mean, you look at other denominations or other Christian groups that are more isolated, and that's the balance God's called us to be. Don't forget who you are, but don't forget what you're called to do. Lastly, our, our kingdom who determines our kingdom whatness, and it will reflect our kingdom 
whyness, why we are to do it. I love this passage. Now, listen to this, listen to this verse closely because it's amazingly honest. It says this, keep your conduct among the Gentiles or unbelievers honorable. Now, remember, we don't do the right thing to determine who we are. We do the right thing because of whose we are, right? So we're responding out of our who. Uh, so because of that, conduct yourself in a certain way. So listen to this. So when they speak against you as evildoers, isn't that amazing? Even when you do the right thing, you know, the world's going to hate us because they hate Jesus. And they're going to see us as evildoers. But they may see your good deeds in word and deed. And glorify God in the day of visitation. Be honorable. But the world will speak against you. (laughs) But ultimately, may they see the way you love one another. May they see the way that you really care for the orphan and the widow. May they see the way that you weep over injustice. May they see the way that you love your God and his creation. And may they say, wow, I got to know that God. You see, that's why he's created us, to bring him glory. For the glory of God is why we are here. It's always been the reason God created. For the glory of God to fill his earth with his glory. That's why God created us and put us in a garden and said, go be light, go bring order, go bring beauty. God's people have always been created to reflect who he is and the way we love him and the way we love one another brings his glory to this earth. And he says he's created us to fill it to fill the whole earth with the presence of Jesus so they all know who they are in him. You see, we as Christians are truly the ones who have the home of the free and the land of the brave. We are the ones. We are the ones who are truly free in God's eyes. And we are the ones who have been empowered by the gospel to truly be brave. But as Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, we have been set free to make ourselves slaves of righteousness. Set free to be tethered to God and to do that which he's called us to do. We have been given bravery so that we could live for the kingdom and his values. We have been given bravery in the gospel so that we could seek first the kingdom of God and, and not ourselves. I ask you as we began, and I'll ask you as we close. What does freedom mean to our country? What does it mean today, May 25th, 2014? As I wrestle with it, I'm going to give you my response. Freedom in our own country means this, freedom to seek one's self-pleasure. It's the freedom to seek after you. Do you know that in Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs, The last need is self-actualization. When everything else is met and all you got left is you, you know that's where we are, right? And the world tells you, ready for this? You're free to figure yourself out. Good luck on that one. What does bravery mean for our country? You ready for this? Bravery to be self-sufficient. Be your own man or woman. Need no one else. Blaze your own path. You see, we've been free to pursue after God's own pleasure. We've been free to bring him glory, and in doing so, we found life and life abundantly. You see, we've been empowered to live for something more than ourselves. We've been empowered and freed to live 
for the ultimate reason for living, for the glory of God. And he says, you're going to need bravery to do it. Because in doing it, you'll have to deny yourself and pick up your cross. And the only way you'll ever do that is you know who you are. And if you know who you are in God's sight, and that has set you free, then you will live your life and what you do out of that. And you will be fulfilling why God has created you. How is it with you? How are you living? Is your who-ness determining your whatness and reflecting your why-ness? The only way that happens is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. And Father, we thank you for your word that reminds us that the love that you've lavished upon us, you love us so much that you would call us your children and in Christ Jesus, that is what we are. And we thank you that you've loved us before time began. And we thank you that for some reason it pleased you to choose us, your church, to choose us, not because of who we are or what we've done or what we'll ever do, but just unconditionally loving us. And thank you for making us a royal priesthood. We're here for you. It's not about us. We're we're here to make a difference for you. And thank you for making us, uh, the church, a holy nation set apart for you. But God, we're the people of your own possession. You've engraven your name on us and we're yours. And you'll never let us go. And who we are is will never, never change. And God, even what we do as we bring you glory, as we proclaim your excellencies, that too will never, ever change. We'll do it for all eternity. Why? For the glory of our great God. God, I pray your spirit would come And those who are trapped in the freedom of themselves, those who are trying to bravely be self-sufficient, they would see how thin and how dead that life is. And that all of us would turn and embrace this incredible gospel freedom of who we are in your sight. And because of that, freely live of what you've called us to do. All for your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.